contragolpe. Viene a Basilea por la derecha, Tomás otra, se la da Basilea, Basilea al arco, remata, gol. Se pone 4 por 0 en el marcador con gol de Indy Basilev. That is Santiago Beltran. He is part of our podcast. We're Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Welcome, everyone, to the show. We thought we'd do a cold intro this time. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you got to love the Spanish call and, of course, the roaring STL at the end. It's become oh a signature. Oh, my God. That was awesome. <laughs> was, I've it, never heard the STL come through like that. I've never. I've just never listened to it on the background of a broadcast. That was amazing. Goosebumps. That was, yeah, it was really good. And if you guys listen to that clip from Extra Time, the, the production team over at St. Louis City did an amazing job, like, tying that in with clips and music and stuff uh make sure you see that clip i that's been i think my favorite clip of the season so far which is saying a lot because there's been a lot of good ones but uh i'm ready to run through a brick wall on that i know i'm ready <laughs> <laughs> we got a, we got three of us here santiago can't make it other than that call that we just heard well done santiago uh we love listening to you man uh but i'm phil we got matt baker and Stuart holtgren is joining us let's start with you Stu. how are you doing man I'm doing fantastic. I mean, there's no other way anyone could be feeling after uh, beating the pants off of Kansas. <laughs> yeah, and that was the second Indy Vasilev goal, the one in the 74th minute, the second of his uh, season. Uh, he got two goals in that one. That was his brace. Uh, Matt, that was that second one was my favorite of his two goals, but they were they were great. Good for him. All four are seared into my mind forever. <laughs> the first time we, we played and annihilated Sporting Kansas. And the way Ostrock took the ball in the midfield, the way he single-handedly took the ball all the way, drew three defenders to him, laid it off to an underlapping Indiana Vasilev with a left-footed curl into the upper left corner. Picture perfect. And it was just the exclamation mark with Santi's call. Absolutely amazing. Perfect St. Louis City style of play right there. Perfect example. Stuart, I want to start with you, man. Uh, what did this rivalry game mean to you, beating, supporting Kansas City in St. Louis 4-0? to zero. I mean, you had to be riding high that night. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, I was actually at a wedding at Union Station on Saturday, so I snuck out of the wedding reception and I walked around the stadium. So I, I listened to that, that third goal actually um, in the uh, northwest corner looking in from everything it was and it was incredible you can really really hear that stl from outside the stadium it's it gives you goosebumps um mm. but it's i mean going into the season i don't think a lot of people realize necessarily how big of a rivalry uh kansas city will be with st louis in mls but it this this is a first taste of what's going to be a really really spicy rivalry yeah, I mean, it was spicy leading up to it, and the game was certainly spicy in lots of different ways. I think we're going to cover that here. Matt, uh, maybe if you want to talk about how what it meant to you and what you felt that night, and uh, go ahead and lead us into the game while you're at it. 
Yeah, it, it meant the world. And it, it came off of the heels of a really rough stretch for the season. So when you're looking at it singularly of the season, it's just a rough patch and you, you need to break out of that. Otherwise, the season could spiral quickly. Uh, we've always been good at home. We're good at answering the call. And leading up to it with the week, it was a lot of talk, a lot of talk. There was there was talk about the soccer capital, the soccer city. There was the the, the tweets by Rob Heineman, the co-owner of Kansas City. There were the billboards by St. Louis City that touted the historic nature of our soccer city. But at the end of the day, all of that is marketing. You come down to the two teams taking the field against each other to prove who is the best in the moment right now. The past is the past, the future, whatever may come. But right now, St. Louis proved far and away that they're the better soccer team. And that is that is what it all meant to me, is in the moment, being there, the goosebumps, the, the nighttime kickoff that allowed the, the lights to fade, the city red to just pop in the stadium, and, and the gateway to hell be unleashed. All of that was as epic as you ever could have hoped for. And the moment was not too big for St. Louis. It proved way too big for Sporting Kansas, and St. Louis ended up rising to the challenge in the most epic way, nationally, locally. Everybody couldn't help but just be in awe of what St. Louis did decimating Kansas City. And that, to me, is is enough to carry you forward through the rest of the season. I mean, we're not going to see Kansas City until September, where we face them twice. So going after that rough stretch, and especially now that we know we may be without Klaus for a little longer than we anticipated. Seeing the the ability for St. Louis to have an answer to their offensive woes without Klaus against the biggest rival that we're going to play all season, it's just everything you could have hoped for, not just for the singular game, but going forward. Excellent. Absolutely well said. I have nothing to add to that. Uh, Stuart, um, I'm going to go to you next. You know, if you guys haven't watched or sorry, watched, if you haven't listened to Flyover Fallout, that comes out on Mondays now. Uh, Matt and Santiago will go over the, the game that happens typically two days before that. And uh, it's really in depth. It's really cool. I hope you guys are listening to that on our podcast. Um, but, you know, listen to that if you want actual in-depth uh, review of that. Now we're just going to do a couple takes on what we thought about the game. And Stuart, I want to lead with you on that. If you can maybe pick out something in the game that you saw and loved, maybe tactically, maybe just emotionally, whatever you'd like to give us here. Emotionally, I loved actually the uh, reaction from the sporting Kansas City fans uh, after the game because the number one talking point for them was, was that a penalty or not? Or... You know, you saw the uh, match day meme, match day 11 meme where it put, um, was that Penso was the mm-hmm. official, yeah. put Penso in on the uh, left wing <laughs> instead of Vasilev. And uh, you know what? You just, you drink in their tears because <laughs> you lose 4 nothing. it's not the official's fault. I'm sorry, you, you lost bad. And uh, every one of their complaints was just a balm to my soul. It was amazing. It felt good, and and I think we can even more revel in that, in that we've given up a PK early, right, and then rallied, and at least, I think we won that game, right? I can't remember which one it was. Was it Charlotte? I think it was. It was Enzo Capetti. uh, No, Enzo Capetti scored in in the run of play. Uh, it'll come to us, but anyway, you know, we can, we can rub that in even more. Um, but I will say I, I, this is on my list of things to say, so I want to say it really quick. Like guys, 
Penso was calling a really awesome game. I really loved it. He was letting a lot go. Um, and then he called that weak PK. I wouldn't have called that. I just wanted to say, as a St. Louis City fan, I never would have called that if I was a referee. I'm a terrible referee. You shouldn't really listen to what I say. But, like, I just wasn't in uh, line with everything else that was being called that uh, that game, in my opinion. I don't know if you guys want to counter that, but um, I thought it was pretty weak. But I'll take it. And I think, you know, the good thing I will say about City is just what you said, Stuart, that, you know, we've rallied in the past. It's never an excuse. Yes, the game changes, but you got to step up, pull up your britches and get the game back. And they just they went the other direction on that. You know, I will say that the VAR did take a look at that and confirmed it based on available camera angles. So whether we think it, whether they think it was not a penalty, VAR looked at it and confirmed it. Didn't just say we're going to let it stand, but they confirmed it from what they saw. They did, yeah. And I think um, I would even go further and say that VAR and MLS needs to be looked at a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> um, but I do understand why they didn't overturn it. Overturning a, a penalty is much different than saying a penalty is a penalty based on the way the rest of the game is called. But And, you know, my, my biggest takeaway is the reason that that penalty was called was Indiana Vasilev. Mm-hmm. He was my biggest takeaway. And the fact that uh, he moved up and played for the first time starting, played in the number 10. He had played there before, the the game before, for a little bit. He had moved up in that slot after some subs. But this was the first chance he really had a good run of play as the number 10. And what he was able to do in creating space and providing an outlet underneath Nico Joachini, it was a combination that we heard some quotes after the game of Nico Joachini had a come-to-Jesus moment type of thing where it was talk to the coach, he talked to his teammates, and he knew what he had to do after that. He knew he had to play higher. He had to trust his teammates to come in underneath of him, and he had to play higher had to hold the line and be able to find some underlapping players. And that underlapping player was Indiana Vasilev in multiple, multiple ways, multiple times throughout the game. That was the the first one that kind of sparked it all. So he had some great runs early, but the fact that Indiana Vasilev could run, he, he took the ball early from Tim Parker. Parker's first pass after dispossessing in the middle of the field was to Indiana Vasilev. Quick touches from Vasilev to Leuven to Joachini to another running Indiana Vasilev on a back heel. All of those put together, just the way Indy helped start and finish that play was the the prototypical way that he played that entire game. So every single goal, just about, was uh, at least indirectly attributed to Indiana Vasilev. You had the two goals that he scored. You had that goal where he drew the foul and created it during the run of play. His, his play, you know, I know Carnell said today that Indiana isn't the answer to not having Klaus. You know, Carnell said that we've used Indy there before. We've used Edu there before. Talked about having Jabulu Blanc coming back and kind of unlocking both of them to move higher up. They, he's called Indy a 10 by trade. Knows that Indiana Vasilev likes to be higher up on the field. Likes to He feels at home up there. But Carnell still knows that he has some skills in the, the deeper midfield. I think allowing Indiana Vasilev to more or less switch places with Edu Leuven from where Leuven had played a couple times earlier without Klaus really did fit exactly what needed to happen against Sporting Kansas City. I look forward, and we'll talk about it later, I look forward to seeing that more against Vancouver, but I think this opened everybody's eyes to what was possible with Indiana Vasilev in the attack. Yeah, I was surprised to hear Carnell say that because I felt like it was not just that 
Indiana Vessel have fixed our problems. I don't believe that. But I do believe putting him there rather than Lubin mixed with a few things that Carnell himself, Matt, you quoted him perfectly, um, made some changes in the way that Joachini plays. um, And Santiago posted a quote from Nico about that as well. You guys together um, really encapsulated perfectly what I thought was um, the changes that were needed in the attack. Um, And so those two things combined, I think, really helped. Um, And so I do think that's like the big thing i hope we continue this on we'll talk about that later like you said but one last thing i wanted to bring up was you know did that fix our problems is this going to work against every team now and so that's where i was kind of looking at how sporting kansas city played uh, because peter vermees did say he wasn't going to play um change his style for us and he wasn't going to just sit back and block the back and then counter and so I just watched that first 15 minutes probably four times or so um, over and over to kind of try to guess and you know things were all over the place all I'll say is that there was a mid block to a low block at times but it wasn't as compact and crazy as we've seen against people like the fire in Minnesota Um, and I'm not sure if that was just deficiencies in Kansas City which is one of my hypotheses Um, but another one is that there were many possession sequences Um, one was 11 passes one was eight passes after several clearances several attempts at the counter where you know Kansas City would be stupid to not take advantage of any counter that we handed them so we did hand them a few so you know in if you look at those yes it looks like they were looking to counter but they also tried to possess the ball against us which is not what you should be doing and so other than those two long sequences I mentioned they were like four, six, seven, four, six pass, two pass sequences and less. And it's because our press was so rabid, in my opinion. I think we just owned them in their own side. So um, I do think that St. Louis owned their style. I do think they played their style for the most part. And uh, I'm trying to be fast here. I'm sorry I'm rushing through this idea. I'd love to talk to you guys offline about it. Uh, but, you know, I'm just curious how it's going to look against Vancouver. And maybe we can talk about that later. But I've used up all of our time probably. Matt, I think like it's, you have a, a thought. I think it's perfect for the wind down that we'll have on our full podcast episode. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. Um, you're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. We're Flyover Footy. We're a podcast in St. Louis that talks about soccer. Clearly, mostly about St. Louis City SC. Welcome. Um, and we're going to move on to get you guys ready for the game that we'll be playing tonight. It'll be Vancouver uh, Whitecaps are coming to town in St. Louis, in City Park, uh, for the first time. And there's a St. Louis boy coming. Si- uh, Simon Betcher is going to be playing. A boy that he played at SLU. He's not from St. Louis, I don't think. Uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But let's start with some news and notes, Matt. You've got some things from the press conference. I'd love to hear them. Yeah, we have a mostly healthy team going again, going into Vancouver. The the two big notables. So let's start with uh, let's start with the good news. The good Lulu Blome. Uh, he's progressed to 77 minutes against Sporting Kansas City. Bradley Carnell said today on the Thursday press conference, as we're recording, we're expecting Blome to be fit and ready. Nothing really more to it. So Blome has not had a setback. He's had a good week of training. To me, this is an opportunity to see him potentially go the full 90, if not uh, 75, 80 minutes again. The issues are going to be in the attack once more. So Joao Klaus, Rasmus Alm. Rasmus Alm trending in the direction as Bradley Carnell says. We'll have to see how he comes through tomorrow, meaning Friday, one last training, which if that sounds familiar to Klaus last week, basically the same story. Uh, but Bradley Carnell kind of tempered our, expect- tempered our expectations. He said, I'm not getting any hopes up. We'll have to see how he's doing medically and how his body responds. Very much a calculated response after 
in my opinion, giving a little bit too much leeway for Klaus last week. What he did say about Klaus, though, kind of downgraded him to week to week now. He says he's had some good days and some bad days. We can all learn from this because we're not dealing with robots. We're dealing with feelings and pain and emotions and injuries. Hoping he's back sooner than later. More than likely, though, he's been ruled out. So we're going to be without Klaus again this Saturday against Vancouver, making the conversation we just talked about with Nico Giochini, Indiana Vasilev, and the attack potentially all the more important to keep in mind. The one last thing to keep a note on as far as player updates go is that City 2 played Thursday night against Portland Timbers 2, and there were no real City implications as far as I could tell in the lineup. Owen O'Malley is the only rostered City player to make the game day roster for City 2, and he's on their bench. Johnny Klein is back with City 2, so he's returned to from his short-term loan to City. He's now He started uh, the game against Timbers 2. And other than that, everybody was in practice Thursday. Even Rasmus Alm was practicing with the team while Joao Klaus was over with Joachim Nilsson and Caden Glover on bikes. Alm was participating with team activities. Like I said, one more hurdle to, to manage, and he could be back. It would be optimistic to get him back, but he's definitely trending correctly. Sounds great. Yeah, it'll be nice to have blown back, especially. Um, boy, he was incredible in that last game. Makes all the difference in the world. A lot of what you were saying, Phil, can happen because of Blom. I completely agree. Uh, let's we'll get into that some more. Stuart, any thoughts on the injuries on on guys that you want to get back? Anyone from City Two you'd like to see? Uh, well, it's uh, I mean, obviously Bloom is incredible being back. That tackle he made to set up the goal was just incredible. Another one of those uh, tackles that I saw. Sporting fans label a orange card, as it were. Um, <laughs> I think Alm is the forgotten man a lot of times out there. He's He's been injured for a while, and you don't – I mean, Klaus gets all of the, the plaudits as far as the attention of when he's coming back, but Alm is obviously really important as well. Um, on City, too, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Ezra Armstrong strong fanboy, uh, so if we could eventually see him with City, that would be amazing. But – John Klein, the Columbia, Missouri uh, of St. Louis Royal t- soccer royalty, um, seeing him make his debut against KC was just incredible. Very emotional. It was. And I thought he looked Definitely. looked good. He looked lively at the very least. And it sounds like we'll see more of that from what we've heard from uh, the guys in the press conferences. Um, let's start digging into Vancouver a little closely. Matt, would you like to get us started on some stati- statistics, some things we should be looking for with them? Let's set the stage. St. Louis comes into this match against Vancouver in third place in the West with 22 points. Even on games with LAFC, two games in hand to Seattle Sounders. We have a 7-4-1 record with 26 goals scored and a plus 13 goal differential. We are 4-2-0 at home. Good home record. St. Louis is also second in goals in MLS with 26 after the outburst against SKC. Juxtaposing our third place in the West with Vancouver Whitecaps, who sit seventh in the West with 17 points. They're 4-4-5 on the season, four wins, four losses, five draws. They have 18 goals scored with a plus-four goal differential. They are winless on the road. Zero wins, three losses, three draws away. Notable on some of our expected stats that Vancouver is third in the league in XG. They're first in the league in expected assists. 
and they're second overall in the league in key passes. So they have a pretty potent offense that I think has gone a little underrated in the league. Uh, we're going to talk about some of those numbers. We're going to talk about some of the quotes about them. But something to keep in mind is that Vancouver, they've been rounding into form. They're getting one of their DPs back now in their attack. And they have a, a rather potent offense compared to what we saw early on. Uh, in the last few games, St. Louis, let's look at them. St. Louis in the last three MLS games, one win, two losses, no draws. We come off the heels of that 4-0 win we just talked about against Sporting Kansas City. We had the 1-0 loss at Chicago. We also had the Open Cup loss. Then we had a 2-1 loss against Portland. Those are our three MLS matches. Vancouver Whitecaps in their last three MLS matches, 1-2-0. Last week, they won 2-0 against Seattle. They had a 2-1 loss against FC Dallas the week before and a 3-1 loss at Portland Timbers before that. Notable for Vancouver, though, while St. Louis has had a week of rest after sporting Kansas City, Vancouver played Wednesday night in the Canadian Championship where they defeated Pacific FC in the semifinals of that tournament. So they're coming off a little bit of a rough stretch as far as their overall uh, fixture congestion goes. This is going to be their fourth match in 11 days, and they're in the middle of eight matches in 25 days. Notable, too, and I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Phil, after this, 14 of their 17 points have come at home. I mentioned they're winless on the road. They overall have just not been a good traveling team this year. Attribute it to the distance, the fixture congestion, what may you. It, this has got to be an advantage for City going into it. They were trending up until those last two losses, weren't they, Matt? Like, I know they had a really rocky start. They didn't look good at all in the beginning of the season. Yeah, they had a boatload of ties. So early on in the season, when they had uh, their designated player, uh, Sergio Cordova, they went winless before he was injured against LA Galaxy on March 18th. Since he went down, though, Brian White, Ryan Gall, they were able to really rally Vancouver to uh, an overall a positive record since he's been out. Now, we're going to talk about it, but Cordova's back, and it's going to be interesting to see how he's integrated into the offense. He started and went the full 90 against Pacific, but with White and Gall able to kind of run this offense on the the on the, the forefront of what Julian Gressel can provide, and we'll touch on all of them in a minute, it's going to be interesting to see what changes this makes to the offense that kind of, you're right, has been clicking. Yeah, and I did, you know, I watched the Seattle Sounders game. Um, it was a really, it was a good, it was a pretty good game um, as far as like two teams that really try hard and look pretty good at it. Um, the main point is Julian Gressel was rested in that game. So um, yeah. I'd say he's one of their key players actually, Matt. Maybe we should move to the next segment because uh, you have a couple stats that include Gressel's uh, looking good with this team. Yeah, so some of the interesting stats that I pulled out are related to kind of how the teams play. And when you we've talked in, in ad nauseum, really, about how St. Louis is the most direct to their attack. We have the second fewest passes uh, per sequence. All that's remained the same. Vancouver, they're similar to sporting in their overall model. They're so much better in transition that we'll touch on in a moment with Julian Gressel kind of leading the, leading the charge in that. But Vancouver it has the sixth most passes per sequence, a lot higher than Kansas City in the league. Vancouver is also fifth in 10-plus pass sequences. So they have 160 of those to St. Louis's 34. That means 160 of Vancouver's sequences throughout the year have involved 10-plus passes. Only 34 of St. Louis's has. 
but Vancouver's kind of the league average in direct speed. So they kind of move the ball rather quick as opposed to Kansas City, who worried about horizontal passing to kind of move the ball up and put themselves into position. Vancouver's a lot quicker. They do they do well in transition. And in all that passing, Vancouver has six players that have over 500 passes so far this year. If, they, if that number doesn't make sense to you, picture what we've seen with St. Louis. St. Louis only has one single player with more than 500 passes, and it's Edu Leuven. Vancouver, you're talking about the ball being played through Julian Gressel, Andre Kubas, who's their number six, and their entire back line. So they move the ball up in more of a vertical pattern to their to the outside portions of their offense. They love to play the ball through their wings where Julian Gressel can really do a lot of damage. He's moved. It's been so funny to watch his career move really from the middle on the outside back, in the wing back, and now he's playing kind of that uh, that wing midfielder role. And a lot of the key passes with Vancouver roll through that offensive portion where you have Ryan Gauld, you have Julian Gressel really leading. So Gauld has 31 key passes this year. Gressel has 26. Again, juxtaposing that to St. Louis, Edu Leuven leads our team with 18 key passes. <laughs> That's not to say that we aren't effective when we get the ball up, but how many times have we scored a goal St. Louis this year where it's gone off of the, the opposition where we don't get credit for an assist? Leuven's been robbed. Johnny Nelson's been robbed of assists. Nico Joachini's been robbed of assists and key passes because it bounces off uh, of opposition players. Vancouver strings together their passes really well. So looking out for guys like Ryan Gauld and Julian Gressel, those are going to be really important guys to monitor in the way that their offense builds up. And then physicality. Last piece I'll touch on on some of these stats is um, Andres Kubas has 32 tackles leading their team. Edu Leuven leads St. Louis with 33. The one thing, though, that we're going to touch on in a moment that Vancouver is going to struggle with, they're mostly healthy now. We mentioned Sergio Cordova is back, and he played a full 90 against Pacific. Ali Ahmed. Ali Ahmed is one of their U22s. He's really strong in moving the ball up. He's played a fullback role. He's played a wingback role. Kind of played a little in the midfield if they run a back three. He was uh, he had a kind of a severe injury occur against Pacific FC. It was a little scary. He was down on the field for, I think, 17 minutes at the time. Um, and, and we found out later after the game that Ahmed suffered a concussion. He had a momentary loss of consciousness even in the Pacific FC game on Wednesday. He, he was able to regain consciousness, went to the hospital. He had a CT scan. It was normal. He traveled with the team. But he's going to be out this this weekend. That's going to be the biggest loss for Vancouver, especially in how they're able to move the ball successfully up the field. Big loss in Ahmed, but where they get their attacking back in uh, Cordova, that's going to kind of be something interesting to watch in how they adjust. Lots of storylines there, but I want to go to you, Stuart, here, uh, because I know you mentioned Gauld being uh, the player that kind of leads them, um, leads the line and does most of the heavy lifting in the creative creativity department. If you want to talk about that or anything else that catches your eye about Vancouver, please do. Well, there's a stat against Pacific FC that Gauld had five line-breaking ba- passes uh, in that match, and he received nine line-breaking passes, so it just shows like how important he is to that team. Um, Gauld's an interesting one. He, he played for Sporting CP. He's kind of bounced around leagues in Europe before coming to the U.S. I actually found out today that he made his debut as a 16-year-old in Scotland, subbing on for Johnny Russell and mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Russell now plays for Sporting Kansas City as I believe he's their captain, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So interesting connection there. Um, 
Gald is one of those guys on Vancouver whose name you might recognize along with Schaff, who used to play for Schalke. Mm-hmm. Um, and he played, I believe, right mid uh, against Pacific FC. They're kind of shifting around their uh, formula with Brian White centrally and Cordova up top, or was Brian right on the left? Um, but anyways, there, there's some interesting connections locally with uh, Phil. You mentioned Simon Betcher, who's from Kansas City, played for SLU. Um, just a fantastic player who really excels at drawing fouls. So if he plays, it'll be interesting to see him go up against maybe like Johnny Nelson mm-hmm. or uh, Jake Norwinski. Um, and another local connection with uh, the Whitecaps uh, and St. Louis Mark DeSantos, who is the former head coach for the Whitecaps and a fantastic coach all around, um, no longer there. He actually interviewed for the St. Louis FC uh, position, head coaching position in 2017, I believe. Before he got the Caps, yeah. Boy, do I have a rabbit trail on that one. He got passed over for that one. But But yeah, beat out by Ampoulis, right? Is that what we went with, right? Beat up by Precky, I believe, was the one. 17 was Precky, I think. No, uh, it was after Precky. (laughs) I can't say why I know that. Uh, We'll have to talk about that at some point. Um, But anyway, yeah, really fun STLFC stuff there. Actually, Stuart, you had like three really interesting stories in that one. That was really cool, all the connections you made with players. Um, Really enjoyed that. Um, I think... Uh, I'm excited to see Cordova come back. I'm not because he's coming back against St. Louis, but he's a really talented player. He's a Venezuelan. I'm interested to see where he plays. Um, Matt, do you know where, how, and where he plays? I'm trying to pull up lineups and I'm not seeing exactly like a a game that he played and Brian White played at the same time. I'm not sure that's going to happen. Yeah, the the best that they might be able to do is some variation of a 4-4-2, but before he went out, uh, White ended up getting subbed in for Cordova a lot. And and so you've got a lot of attacking depth now with Vancouver, so, and informed depth too. If anything, Cordova is the one who's not in form only because he's just coming back. Uh, but you've got... You've got Cordova, you've got Brian White, you have Simon Betcher, mm-hmm. and White and Betcher are tied for lead, lead in goals with four on their team. So the Whitecaps have no uh, no issues with depth in who can score goals, and you mentioned Ryan Gold's ability to facilitate. Heck, uh, Brian White leads the team in shots and shots on target. Ryan Gold's second with 22 shots. He only has five on target, but he doesn't have any goals. That's the really interesting thing. Um, Gold is a designated player. Uh, Andre Kubas is a designated player. And then the aforementioned Sergio Cordova is a DP. All three of those players, I think, perform vastly different roles. You know, Kubas being the number six defensive midfield, Gauld more of that playmaking midfield attacker. Uh, Brian White, though, is kind of interesting to me. Uh, and, and one of the things we haven't touched on yet, which cannot go unsaid, because I want to mention it more than once, is the relationship between uh, Jake Nerwinski and the Vancouver Whitecaps. So before I get to Jake's quote about Brian White, a little backstory, for those who don't know, Jake Nerwinski played all six of his first seasons with the Vancouver Whitecaps. He was drafted by them. He's played for them his entire career. He's made friends. He has borderline family with a lot of their players and staff. He said that he played at least two or three years with most of their players and has played all six seasons with some. And so the the history that he carries into this game is 
it cannot go understated. And with Brian White in particular saying, Jake said, after saying that he really is trying to treat this as another game that it is, knowing that it's it means a little extra because, just because it's the former team, it's the only team he's ever played for. But he did give us this in the pregame presser against Brian White. Says that I'll probably talk a little smack to him. That's the only guy. One of my good friends that I've been close to for a while. We've been texting this week leading up to the game. Good player, great work rate, good in behind, good off a long ball. Just I just need to be aggressive with him and don't give him space. I don't know. Maybe I'll hit him or something. Just a little <laughs> check, you know. So Jake Jake Nerwinski obviously having a little fun with it, and you know it, it, we saw some pictures and, and info of him and Brian White and the relationship that they have. So there's going to be some some knowledge there. And Jake did say that he he is able to kind of uh, give our team a little heads up on some of their tendencies. He's like he said he's played with almost everybody on the team. Uh, he's comfortable with them. So. He knows a lot of their tendencies. He's helping our guys out as far as where guys usually position themselves, spacing. That's an advantage that you can't forget about is Jake Nerwinski's knowledge and innate scouting ability of what who he's played against and some of those some of those players from the Whitecaps. Uh, but you know, he's kind of probably going to be my player to watch. I think Jake Nerwinski hmm. in all of this because he mentioned that he's purposefully not letting the moment overwhelm him. He's he's that's why he's treating it kind of as any other game and he's not letting not letting the gravity of the moment get to him, uh, seeing what he does, because he is just integral in our overall style of play. He sends the ball up. He's one of our key passers, puts the ball into some dangerous spots overhead and into our attacking midfield. So seeing what Jake does offensively as well as defensively, I think is going to be very important to this overall match. Yeah, I agree. That is really cool uh, to have that. And I didn't realize he's a Jersey boy. I knew Brian White was, but that was cool. That that picture that was posted. Maybe we'll get that story from you, Matt, in uh, in the yeah. wind down. We'll we'll deep it. We'll deep dive a little bit in more into Jake Nerwinski <laughs> in the press conference in the wind down. Just a couple things. <clears throat> like I said, I <clears throat> pardon me. Sorry. Um, I watched the Seattle Sounders game and I was looking, scrolling through all the games that they had, and I was like, no, I don't want to watch Vancouver play a bunker and counter team. And so I watched the Seattle Sounders team, which is the most recent one anyway, uh, because the Sounders in the first few games in the season would press quite a bit and get a lot of high turnovers. And Vancouver is another team that um, in the stats for pressing department, um, they would be relatively high in the Western Conference. Nothing like us or anything, but um, still they choose their moments. So we are going to see Vancouver press at times, I think, unless they game plan against that. Uh, But you know, everything Matt said about playing down the wings. Um, there were just a lot of things watching those two teams play, Seattle and Vancouver, where I thought several of those things are going to look really similar to us. And so you saw both teams kind of trying to go direct over the top at times. You saw both teams pressing at times. And you saw a lot of balls getting into the box. You saw a lot of second ball, like just battling for the second ball. And Vancouver's goals, like they weren't gorgeous goals. And you know, a lot of those St. Louis City goals are not gorgeous goals. A lot of beautiful play around them at times. But, you know, I think this might be a bit of a smash game. And I look at, I look forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of um, athleticism and um, just like jockeying for the ball the best you can. The St. Louis style play, if you will. Uh, it's it's early, but I would call it that. Yeah, the, the 
watching the Dallas game, watching the Seattle game most recently, because obviously that's where a lot of their informed players and, and play came from. Some of the things that really caught my eye is just the amount of times Vancouver played it out of the back. And if you watch the Dallas game against a high-level offensive threat in Jesus Ferreira, Vancouver proved themselves pretty susceptible to pressing. And so the thing that I noticed right off the bat is our style of play in swarming opposition in our attacking third when they're trying to play out of the back. We've seen it multiple times from keepers and backline members is that if you press them properly and force bad passes, it didn't take a St. Louis caliber press to do that. FC Dallas was able to do it and create a goal from Jesus Ferreira off of a high press turnover just a couple of weeks ago. That that showed me right off the bat that if we can be smart with our 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 pivots and our presses and really push them in the ways that we were in Sporting Kansas City, we'll be putting ourselves in good positions to not just not just create chances, but really put them on their heels for the entire game. Because if they're not comfortable in playing the ball out of the back, they're more likely to send it. And to your point, Phil, get themselves into some of those 50-50s, those aerial dual opportunities, which it doesn't take uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of individual skill to win those. But when we do win those, what we've shown lately is our ability to pass the ball through the midfield quickly up the field. Uh, one of Vancouver's weaknesses is defending against skillful players. So individual high-level performances, whether you're carrying the ball or whether you're performing um, a low XG shot, those high individual skill players can do damage to Vancouver. And we've seen, we saw that what Indiana Vasilev can do. We saw what Tomas Ostrak can do, Nico Joachini just recently. If those players can have the same types of performances against Vancouver and, and be as skillful with the ball, and I didn't even mention Edu Leuven. If those players can do that, then Vancouver is going to be susceptible to a lot of things that St. Louis has proven skillful at. Agree. This is Flyover Footy. We're on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for uh, joining us, everybody. Stuart, any comments on anything we've talked about? Anything new you'd like to say? Kind of a last call for uh, thoughts on the Vancouver game here. No, I just have a question for you and Baker. Uh, so we saw John Nelson really take it to his former team at FC Cincinnati, and he really made that a signature uh, game that clearly meant a lot to him emotionally. Are we going to see the same from uh, Jake Nerwinski this week? Hmm. I'm going to say he's going to be a shutdown defender, and I think that's going to be Ooh. where he stands out. I hope he doesn't go too extra. I really do because I think he can get caught up field late in the game, though he's been very solid this year. Yeah, that's a very minor thing I'm saying there, but I just hope that's what I would hope from him is just to shut the heck down that right side there. I think the combination of Jake Nerwinski and Tim Parker is going to be amplified in this game, hmm. and I think guys like Ryan Gold and... Brian White are going to find themselves in difficult positions because of those two. I really think the edge goes to Jake Nerwinski for the fact that we're at home. Uh, Vancouver is playing on just a few days rest. These guys are not well rested. St. Louis is. So there's a lot of those intangibles that go into it. From a familiarity perspective, it's it's probably a toss up between guys like White and Nerwinski and all of those. But end of the day, I think... I think Jake is going to come on top from this one with what he's been able to impart on the rest of our team. So knowing those tendencies that can't go uh, overlooked and from an individual perspective, uh, I, I have all the confidence in the world of Jake Nerwinski. I agree. Anything else, Stu? Uh, I mean, just 
so excited about this match. I know it's a lower table team compared to us, but don't take them lightly because, mm-hmm. I mean, Timbers beat us, and they're right down there with uh, uh, Whitecaps. And uh, Whitecaps also had a really, really amazing comeback to get a draw out of the jaws of defeat from Minnesota United earlier this year. So I think Betcher scored in the 98th minute of that one when Minnesota fans were celebrating a win when they really, really needed a win. Betcher's good late for them, especially. So that's one to watch if he comes in late. He's got, I mean, surely he comes in, right? He has to in St. Louis. You figure, yeah, they'll give him the opportunity. If you know, the, the, the interesting, yeah, the interesting thing to me, though, is Stu hit it that the this team rises to the occasion in the most opportune times so we know st louis has had struggles with minnesota and namely seattle earlier this year vancouver two of their last uh, two of the last three wins came against minnesota and seattle Mm -hmm. so they they can beat the teams just like kansas city i mean it's it's kind of eerie in how we went into kansas city and they had just beaten minnesota and seattle Vancouver's done the same thing recently. And so knowing that they've beaten teams that we've struggled against, I think plays into current form meaning the world. And so we're not a team right now who is newly without Klaus. We're not a team right now that is trying to change their style of play to to match somebody else's, to play against somebody like Seattle. We know what our style is. We know who we've been deficient in. So all of that experience has made this St. Louis team, in my opinion, a vastly different St. Louis team than went up against Minnesota and Seattle. So I, I don't know. I see a team like Vancouver beating them, and I don't necessarily think, oh, well, they had their numbers. You know, they Seattle and Minnesota had our numbers, so it's, it's going to be a wash and a, a dogfight. I do think it'll be a dogfight, but I think that this St. Louis team is so much more mature than they were just a few weeks ago. And what we've talked about here of we we were successful, teams had a blueprint, and now I think we're starting to see the answer to the blueprint. They've gotten some seasoning in the last few weeks, haven't they? Very very much so. Um, yeah, you you tweeted what you just said, that the teams that they've beat are similar to SKC, the Seattles, the LAFC. So that, that's been very forefront in my mind as well, Matt. Um, we're on the, the, long, the last little stretch here. i got to start practicing my Spanish in my head because we got to do our lineups, and Santiago has, has a message for us. But, Matt, maybe you can get us started, and then I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully be ready when my turn comes. Yeah, so really quick, um, I do want to say a couple things as far as keys to the game from me before I get into my lineup. I'll make it short, Phil, I promise. Scoring early seems obvious, but that keeps going into everybody's head. If you score early, you change the, the, the direction that teams have to play. That seems obvious, but t- we have to continue to be aggressive in our challenges and smart in our swarming, something I mentioned. We have to neutral- neutralize Julian Gressel. We have to force Vancouver into low percentage shots. Bradley Carnell mentioned today in the press conference that when teams do get shots off on us, they tend to be a high percentage shots. We have to keep our back line in good positions to force low percentage. And we have to be very physical in the midfield, aggressive on our duels, win those tackles, and limit some of those second chances that we, we mentioned earlier. Now for our lineup. I think Johnny Nelson's back. I think Johnny Nelson only left the lineup because he was forced to, and there's no reason he shouldn't return despite the fact that Kyle Hebert was successful against Sporting Kansas City. I think the about 100, 100 total minutes of left back isn't enough for Kyle Hebert to say he's won that role and Lucas Bartlett is going to remain in the starting lineup. So my starting lineup I have is obviously Roman Berkey, who Bradley Carnell called the best goalkeeper in MLS, is going to be in there. Johnny Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, and the aforementioned Jake Nerwinski. 
Jabulu Blom, Eddie Leuven in the midfield. And then our attack is going to have Jared Stroud, Indiana Vasilev, Celio Pompeo, and Nico Joachini. Essentially, the same lineup from Sporting Kansas City, except for Johnny Nelson returns, and Kyle Hebert slides over to center back in place of Lucas Parkland. Stuart, what do you think? I'd say we roll with the same lineup that worked against Sporting Kansas City, except John Nelson makes his comes right back into the lineup. Yeah, uh, and Santiago agrees. I am supposed to say, equipo ganador no se cambia. I think I did okay there. I tried to do it wrong the first time, and that means basically, if you're winning, don't change a thing, uh, in my own words, if I can change it a little. But um, he wants the same thing. Don't change a thing. It worked last time. I agree with exactly your lineup, Matt. I loved some of your offline comments about um, Santiago uh, mentioned putting in Ostrock perhaps as a starter over Celio. Yeah, Santi and I talked about that earlier, and the prevailing thought ended with ride your hot hands. Salio is working, and Ostrock is incredibly effective as a sub right now. Ostrock did what he did, I think, because he had fresh legs and was able to to make some key movements in the midfield, able to tackle and create those chances, move the ball up the field as fast as he could because he had fresh legs. That and uh, potential Rasmus Alm later on, depending if he's healthy. But those kinds of, of playmakers are so important to have in form late in the game. Yep, and my final thought uh, before we go is if John Nelson's going to come in, I agree with you, Matt. I think he's going to be our mainstay for the rest of the season. As long as he can play, he's going to go. Vancouver against Seattle was sending it to the back post a lot, and I felt like the fire had nailed down a weakness in John Nelson's game because they got him several times um, sleeping on the back post, as Taylor Twelman said. So um, he needs to make darn sure that that is fixed and it's not going to be a problem because Vancouver will try it at least once, if not like three to five times, I believe they did against Seattle. So uh, that's one thing to watch. Um, and that's the final thing I have for you. Uh, make sure we are going to talk about whether we think this formation is going to work and continue to work against Vancouver, plus several other topics. We're going to take a break and we're going to do what we call the wind down where it's slow paced. We go as long as we want to go. We talk about everything and, um, we get a little more in depth so please join us on the podcast um and do rate like subscribe all those things will help us out a lot if you enjoy the show thanks so much for listening we're flyover footy you're listening to us on the big 550 ktrs bye-bye everybody enjoy the game go city Welcome to the wind down. We've been talking about center backs and their ages and how good Wenzel's been. Batashe just scored, I think. Someone just said it was like a Travella at the top of the box. Edge of the oh, box. Man. Like that's going to be a fun one to watch on replay. Yeah. And we were talking, um, Faisal Batash and Michael Wenzel are players to watch for city two. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're looking to watch city two and thinking, all right, who should I pay attention to for whoops, who should I pay attention to for the next year or two? It's it's Batash and it's Wenzel. They were brought over uh, very young and all the upside in the world. Those And Wenzel is, immediately took the captaincy, which he had from uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach's academy system. Dude's a born leader, it seems, and high-level, skilled with City 2. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement from those two players for me. A lot of, it's like, 
if you want competition at the center back position in St. Louis City, we have so many good center backs just like waiting for time. Um, and that's actually our, our first question. Someone just sent it in. He didn't think he'd make it in. But uh, the account, Blom, Blom Boy is a battalion yes. of America's soccer capital. Always a good one. <laughs> yeah, great one. He says, um, love to hear discussion about John Bell. He had 15 MLS appearances last season and none. So sad uh, this season with with City, I agree, man. I mean, that's kind of what I was leading to is that, you know, it's really hard to get minutes as a center back and Nilsson's not even back yet. Well, there's there's certain things that you have to try to read between the lines on. And I think John Bell is one of those because even when we get to go out to training, we only get to see a portion of it. There's a lot of closed training where they work on tactics, where they work on game situations that we don't get, even we don't get to see. And I have a sense that it's those areas that guys like Bell and Pedro aren't aren't performing at the level of a Kyle Hebert, a Johnny Nelson, a Josh Yarrow enough to to break through in the depth chart. Because yes, there is a, there is that fact that we have an abundance of wealth at center back. So if you're looking at, at John Bell in particular, we have Joachim Nelson who's injured. You have Tim Parker. You have Kyle Hebert. You have Lucas Bartlett, Josh Yarrow, and John Bell. So you're at you're at six, right? You have six center backs, five if if you don't count Nilsson. But somebody has to be the odd man out. There there has I mean there is a depth chart for a reason, and so it just seems like it's a consistent thing to me in that it's not necessarily a uh, any given training type of a situation. It seems like there's a clear cut hierarchy that's developed, and it it has Lucas Bartlett above both Yarrow and Bell. And that's a testament probably – I would like to think it's more of a testament to Lucas Bartlett as opposed to a condemnation to a guy like Bell. Mm-hmm. But the the odd thing is you're, you're stuck with John Bell because City 2 has – we just talked about it – Michael Wenzel and Fritz Vollmer as your center backs right now. So – what is what are you you're balancing the need to develop those young guys who you probably have eyes for on city in the future, especially Wenzel uh, Volmer, I know, is is probably going to college, but you have the need to get time for some of the guys on city like Josh Yarrow and John Bell. So how do you balance that? And what we've seen occur so far is you're prioritizing the youth in their their development with City 2 as opposed to just getting minutes for the guys who are third or fourth string on the depth chart of City. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds too. Um, you know, I see that center back depth chart and, you know, I'm, I'm a little sad that Volmar is going to go away to college without, you know, kind of getting a chance with the senior team. We'll see, but still, um, it, might, it doesn't look like it'll happen at this point. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm comparing that to... Um, to Johnny Klein getting in the game uh, this last week. So, like, St. Louis is willing to give guys chances, but at the same time, we're seeing, I don't know if you guys have been watching the U-20 World Cup, but, like, Brandon Craig is, like, one of the best center backs in the tournament so far. He's been incredible, and the guy can't get minutes for for the Union. Um, And granted, the Union has some of the best center backs in the league, but still, um, I think maybe that shows how hard it is to trust youth at the center back position. It seems like it's a league wide situation. So, and especially with the system that we run, it, it, there's a lot yeah. of pressure on your center backs. Absolutely. And, and I, I don't, again, I don't discount. I don't say that it's the fact that John Bell can't perform in the system because he's he's gotten minutes with the first team. He's gotten minutes with City too. But 
whether it's Lucas Bartlett has just shown himself able to perform at a high level or, you know, the game hasn't called for the, the, the depth hasn't been needed at that position because there is that at, you mention it with Johnny Klein, especially there's the opportunistic moment that mm-hmm. has to present itself. Now, Lucas Bartlett was given that opportunistic moment and he took it by the horns and he's run with it. He's proven himself to be that third option at center back with Nilsson out after Parker and Hebert. But with Johnny Klein, you know, there was there were injuries to Klaus or injuries to Alm. There was depth in in multiple matches in in the given weeks. So you had um, AZL Jackson, you had Isai play a little bit for City 2 as well. So there were there were there was a clear-cut opportunity for Johnny Klein to be able to get minutes. That level of opportunity has never presented presented itself so far with John Bell, not even really with Josh Yarrow, to be quite honest, because he's almost in the same boat. We just probably don't think about it as much because we've seen Yarrow here and there. John Bell has more been missing in action except for, I think, one game with City. Yep, definitely. Let's uh, move to a couple more questions we have here. Is Joachim Nilsson back to working out yet? I know the initial timeline was May for him to start activities again. Uh, Before you say anything, Matt, um, I still am like sticking to the um, bring him back during the League's Cup matches because it's just like... Give him some some time here and there. Maybe they rush him back as soon as he's back. He's that good, perhaps. But mm-hmm. by the time the League's Cup happens, it's a perfect time to really get him up to speed with games that don't, let's be honest, they don't they don't matter that much. Yeah. I mean, you took the words right out of my mouth. We So far, we've shown that we're going to prioritize MLS over U.S. Open Cup. There's no reason to think, other than the fact that it is a self-contained season-pausing tournament, Uh, that we wouldn't give priority to MLS. And the other side of it is the depth that we just spoke about with center back. Hmm. There is no need to rush Joachim Nilsson back. Yes, he is presumed to be the highest level center back that we have. We've seen that from from his his matches in Sweden and with his national team that – or in Germany, rather, and and with his national team, that he is that high-level center back that we will look look to for the stretch run. But – with the way Kyle Hebert's playing, with the way that our back line with Nelson Hebert, Parker, and Nerwinski are performing uh, consistently, yes, they have their ups and downs. Johnny Nelson had a terrible game against Chicago. But overall throughout the season, like you can't discount the work that those guys are doing. And so when they're performing at that level, why would you ever consider rushing Nelson? Now, the other, the other piece to it is his individual recovery. And we have seen somewhat of a consistent recovery from – just not even being there on training days to being on a bike to jogging to not having any kind of a um, a weight requirement so trying to take some some weight off of his legs and and balance that so we he's he's back to running without any kind of um, assistance he's biking regularly he's doing solo drills you see the progression now unfortunately we didn't get the opportunity to ask Carnell okay we're at the end of May are you reevaluating him Part of me thinks that he would have deferred to the medical staff that we never get a chance to talk to anyway. But I still am optimistic about Nilsson's return this summer, whether it's June, July, League's Cup, or even after. And as long as we're having success with the way our backline is performing now, it's not front of mind to me. He's, mm-hmm. he's a guy who's like, this is going to be our stretch run guy. Like, he's the one who's going to help lead us to the playoffs. And, and the way we're performing now, it's just not especially with the way our offense has not been performing, right? Nilsson is a 
the pie in the sky, nice to have. I can look forward to him, but we don't need him right mm-hmm. now. Um, and while we're on it, I forgot to say too that um, I think Timmerman, Tom Timmerman, mentioned that um, that John Bell was one of the options as a left back if Hebert wasn't going to play that left back position. So that was that was an interesting one. Interesting because it's an even bigger condemnation on Selmer Pedro. Yeah. Yes. I think that should be talked about. I think, I think after this week, seeing that they started Hebert over Pedro, that's a big storyline. I think he's out. He's on the outs. And that quote was pretty good. I mean, it proved it right. Because um, I would say Bradley Carnell does everything he can to say something nice or to push back negativity as much as he can when it comes to direct you know, negativity at a player. In this case, he kind of admitted to it, right? Well, even when I've asked him twice recently about Selmer Pedro, um, one time I tried to be positive about how his performance was, I believe against Chicago, but there was one goal um, that we let up where I, I thought in the run of play was because Pedro misjudged uh, the offside line and he allowed kind of Tim Parker to keep a player offside. Bradley Carnell's comment at the time was essentially not call, not saying I was wrong. He didn't directly say that, but he 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 just asked, well, who had the best line of sight on that? And I answered, Selmer Pedro. He's at the corner. And so he said, yeah, Selmer Pedro had the, mm-hmm. the best line of sight on that. And I can't help but read between the lines thinking that that was more of a condemnation than it was he didn't do anything wrong because if he had the perfect line of sight on that and there was a player in an onside position – he should have been covering that type of a player who was next to him. Now, all that all that goes into Carnell's other comments that Pedro's a guy that he's consistently working with, and he always keeps saying he's a player we're, we're trying to work with, we're trying to develop, we're spending more time with individually. He has to continue to grow. There's clearly work that Carnell sees from Pedro that needs to occur before he's in that same category of players who are uh, fit, who are in form and able to give the team the best chance of winning because he's used those three categories multiple times and Summer Pedro has never been on the lineup when he's referenced those three categories. Pedro um, played in the Bosnian league. Um, mm-hmm. And so he was a starter for Sarajevo. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's clear now that, you know, MLS is a step up from that and probably a yeah. decent step up because he was he looked really good in his in his clips. He I did. guess a lot of players look good in their highlights, but still like I was looking forward to him. He looked good with MLS Next Pro. We saw some some writing on the walls a little bit, but nothing crazy. Um, but we saw a good attack from him. We yeah. saw we saw a very he was he was high level. He was pressing really high up the field. It was the periodic defensive lapses. That sure. Were the concern. Yeah. And so I guess. You know, it's weird in that it seemed like the the team that we built, we didn't have depth at left back, so we thought he was either the starter or the backup at worst. And so I still kind of believe that was the plan. And, um, you know, part of me would be like, well, it's no big deal. He is moving up a league. He's got to season himself, become worthy of a start in the next two seasons. And that's like not the end of the world for someone his age coming from that league. But at the same time, you know, we thought he was going to start. So it's very strange in that way. So I'm really curious what will happen. It just, you know, I think he would be an MLS wing back, no problem. And so if, if we didn't give him so much defensive responsibility, I don't think this would be too much of a problem. Maybe he'd be better on another team is an interesting thought I've had. Um, but, you know, we'll see how all of this plays out. 
but for now he's he's off right he's and he's he, in the back yeah he he's at least third on the depth chart of left back after Kyle Hebert and Pedro is signed until the end of the 2025 season so yeah. he has time to develop you know so there's no i mean there's there's reason for concern in the immediacy but there's no long-term reason to believe that he can't be developed into a player that can be a big contributor in that left back role soon enough. Mm-hmm. Um, let's do another question. Greg Holvax on Twitter asks if city sign for me. this is a fun one or any third senior DP this year. Is that okay? I know some want to sign a young DP instead. I believe Klaus and Leuven have the ability to drop their DP status next year. Matt, I haven't watched the city voice. I'm dying to listen to this one because of what you said. Uh, Klaus said in that interview. I haven't listened to it either. Okay. But they, te- they teased it. I mean, they didn't even uh, hide the fact that they referenced Klaus yeah. has a relationship and knows Firmino. So the fact that they're they're putting that out there is funny in the least. But I love also that kind not, of stuff. Like, throw it all on the table. Any- Who cares? That's right. great. They're, they're not doing anything to, to stop the flames. They're, they're stoking the flames, <laughs> if anything. Now, the thing about Firmino... That doesn't match. There's two things that don't match with uh, established, I guess, ideology of the club. One is the age. So he's 31 right now. Uh, he'll be about 32 by the time he's in form enough to play for us. Um, he is a very high dollar player, you would assume. I think he's making around 10 million a year from Liverpool. And so that kind of a salary would be game-breaking for St. Louis City. Hmm. It's not just, yes, we could get him on a free transfer, and that would help mitigate it. But we're not talking about Roman Berkey taking a a decent salary cut. We're talking about, like, either we're going way above and beyond what we've done and said we're going to do for any other player, or Firmino's going to have to take a 70% salary cut to to have a, a salary that's even close to in line with any other player. Otherwise, we're tossing that designated team mantra to the wayside. And we're saying, yes, we have these high high caliber players that we found for value elsewhere, like a Klaus, like a Berkey and a Leuven, even a, a Ostrock. But now we have our player. We have a an established Premier League caliber global star, basically still in his prime, if not on the close to the hump on the other side of his prime, who who we've seen this this kind of player can tear in MLS. He can he can go ham on the caliber of, of MLS teams. So it's there there's no doubt that he would have success when he comes here because whether it's at St. Louis or elsewhere, it's just the fit. Yeah, and I just want to say quickly, he is is willing to press. He's willing to run his butt off oh. because that's clearly what he has to do with Liverpool. So that's not stylistically, a problem either. Yeah. No. Stylistically no problem. No ego. Right. No, no, no ego. No, he's willing to play defense. He's willing to do everything that Lutz will ask him to do and is asking a guy like Klaus to do. So stylistically, uh, even relationship history with Klaus and, and with Lutz, it all matches up. It's just with that caliber of player comes the price and the dollar amount that would change everything that they've been referencing about our team. Yep. Some good ones from Joseph Iliff always joins us in the chat. Thanks, Joseph. Um, some good ones to just talk about quickly. Um, he basically mentions the Canadian National Anthem. And I did see that this is true. He's asking, but I will just say that uh, Timmerman posted that this is the first time there will be an English 
Spanish yeah. and French broadcast. And I guess, yes. yes, there is room in the press box for that, Joseph. So, <laughs> Yes. So uh, MLS Season Pass has uh, French broadcasters for all of their Canadian teams. And so this will be the first time the St. Louis City is taking advantage, more or less, of that. But also, yes, there will be a Canadian national anthem. Um, we saw it with City 2 last year when we played the Canadian teams. And MLS teams this year, if you watch any um, U.S. Canadian broadcast from an American stadium, they play the Canadian national anthem. And also if you're down in downtown St. Louis right now, uh, we're recording this Thursday night. You'll see the Canadian flag at city park. It is in, I think it's in place of the St. Louis, the city of St. Louis flag on the South side of the stadium on market, but it's, it's hung and it's flying right now. Yeah. Très bien. I do, French is the one uh, language I actually can sort of speak. So um, I wish I had something prepared. I have nothing, but <laughs> Um, okay, so that was a good one, Joseph. Thanks. We, he has another one. How will Jake Norwinski do against his former team? How have other city players done against their old clubs? We mentioned that earlier. John Nelson did great, uh, as Stu said. Uh, Jake Norwinski, how do you think he'll do? How did Jared Stroud do against his old team? <laughs> well said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they show up. That's the history St. Louis City players have established. When we they play, play Miami, too, this year, don't we? So we'll we see do, how right before does. League's Cup. This is right a good running Cup. narrative, isn't it? Yeah, I, I've very much been enjoying the run of form that our players have had against their old teammates. Can you imagine what Sam Adenron would have done had he been in the roster against Seattle Sounders? Oh, man. Let's... I know. I, but I digress. I digress. The knife um, turns. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, we talked a little bit about Jake earlier, and I, I still think he'll rake. Um, he had a funny joke uh, about scoring a goal. He, he said that... He thinks he's, he said in tongue in cheek, I think I'm due for a goal. We have 14 goal scorers and I'm not one of them. Uh, so he, he was tongue in cheek, he, you know, about him scoring a goal. Um, we also talked earlier, this is a nice little segue into Jake, that for the first time ever, a an opposing or a non-St. Louis-based media outlet was present at the pregame press conference. And if you follow hard journalists or journalism on Twitter, it was it was her who who dialed into the press conference. Um, she covers the Whitecaps, does a fantastic job, always gets in depth stuff. Had a lot of articles on Jake before coming here, and is actually one of the people that we talked to on Flyover before the season started, trying to get a little bit more information on Jake. And it's telling to me that Vancouver and a Vancouver outlet who he played with for six years wanted to keep tabs on him and track him in this matchup, and so. Coming on to that, asking questions about Carnell, how's Jake integrating with the team? How's he has he been a fit for St. Louis City? And talking to Jake about how how he's been, what he looks to do against guys like Brian White and his old teammates. Like all of that really it speaks to the the person that Jake Narinsky is, the caliber of not just player, but overall, like Bradley Carnell said, he's a good human being. He fit the culture perfectly. But you have a stalwart like him where Jake Narinsky is one of the top minutes uh top minutes players of of our entire team along with Roman Berkey. He's a guy who never gets subbed out. I think he's been subbed out once. He he plays right back just so consistently well for us in the style of play that we have and knowing what he knows about the the Whitecaps players and the style of play that they run. Um yes, it's a new coach from when they when they he played most of his time with them. I think he was familiar with their most recent coach a little bit from the end of last year. But we talked about uh, Mark DeSantos and how he was let go last year. Jake still has set familiarity with all the players. He's talked to our teammates about him. I think 
this is an opportunity to carry on a now legacy of performing well against your former team. Yeah, I like that. I think that's perfectly well said. Um, how does gold or this is the last one from Joseph? How does gold differential work in MLS? Is it important to beat SKC four to zero instead of two to zero or three to one? Um, here's what I'm pretty sure is true, Matt. I don't know if you know, but I'm pretty sure. Excuse me, gold differential is not the tiebreaker. I think it's goals scored. Is that correct? Yeah, it's goals scored. So the four helps a lot. The zero doesn't necessarily. I think it's a second tiebreaker. And yeah, then, like it, yellow it, cards have come into play at some point. I think yeah. disciplinary. Yeah. Gold. So gold differential does matter, but it, it's down there in the hierarchy yeah. after goals scored and the four definitely will help out. So being that top of the top of the goal scoring. And in fact, um, we are tied on points as we sit right now with FC Dallas and ahead of them in the standings because we have 26 goals scored compared to their 16. Something else. I forgot what we were going on about in the first segment, but um, the fact that is it that we haven't let up a goal in April? What, what was the stat that you shared? defensively i think we've been very good as of late right well yeah so we had that 4-0 win against sporting kansas city uh before that we had allowed one goal against chicago are we talking mls play too because mls plays a little so maybe that was from tom timmerman sorry if i'm i'm kind of calling you out here i thought no that was you it, it hasn't been bad um since seattle We've had one goal allowed, one goal allowed, two goals, one goal, zero goal. So Seattle's the only the only team we've played this entire season where we've allowed more than two goals. Before that, you know, we had Minnesota with one, Salt Lake zero, mm-hmm. Earthquake zero. It's been an overall great defensive performance for us consistently this year. That's the thing is we probably – and I was talking with – um I was talking with Santi earlier today that even in our run of form against the the teams the past few weeks, Chicago, Portland, Colorado, the problem hasn't been our defense. The problem's in our offense this entire time. The fact that we've scored yeah. uh, before Kansas City in our three matches, three MLS matches before that, we scored a combined two goals, but we only allowed a combined four goals. It's not bad. Like four goals in three matches, that's winnable. Like you should at least win one, if not yeah. more of those, right? I completely Our agree def- with that. Yeah. And I this was the this was the banner that I was carrying after the Chicago match. Is that I had I saw so many well, I saw a few people. I'm not gonna blow it out of proportion. I saw a few people saying there's no positives to take away from that Chicago game. There's <laughs> nothing to there's nothing to highlight, which is absurd. When you allow one goal and it's on a set piece. And you're telling me there's nothing positive to take away? How? That's just such a such a, a terrible comment to our defense, mm-hmm. who have allowed who allowed zero goals in the run of play. That's that's an absurd comment, and it carries forward the entire season. Where except for Seattle, which we talked about, Seattle, go back and listen to it because the the changes we made that was the back three, the center back back three mm-hmm. with the wing backs. We changed so much about ourselves in that game. And that that was a learning lesson more than anything because that got away so much from what had got us successful and we we didn't rise to the occasion. We basically said, we know Seattle's a superior team. We're going to try to fight them at their game. Other than the Seattle game, our defense has been stellar, playing their style of play 
And it's been it's been everything from in front of our back line. Jabulu Blom being hurt has been a huge catalyst in that because you had to he had to plug and play so many different pieces. When Blom was out, when when Blom was recovering and Klaus went out, you had total meltdown because you were having to fill holes in the midfield without being able to slot guys like Indiana Vasilev in the attack. You were just playing down too many men and trying to recover and find solutions in too rapid fire of a time when you had your U.S. Open Cup matches as well. So the defense, going back to the initial, I think what the initial question was, because I've gone on a tangent now, the defense is not the problem. We, we talked earlier about our center back depth. Johnny Nelson had one bad game this year against Chicago. Other than that, I mean, you're getting what you want out of our defense. You're getting more than what you want out of our center back depth. Lucas yeah. Bartlett stepping in, doing yeoman's work. So now that we're starting to turn and being able to figure out our offense, especially without Klaus, this is where we have a potential to turn the full corner and really go on a run these next few home games. And I've always thought that, um, you know, I think Coach John Hackworth with City 2 really set the tone for that. And, you know, he's historically always been like, okay, solidify the defense and then we'll build the attack throughout the season. And I think that played out with City 2. And I think that's something that they care very much about with, with the senior team. And yeah. I, I think I think it's really played out well. I think especially with our style of play, it's especially hard to have a solid defense. So I think even you take that into consideration, it's pretty rare for a team like ours to be able to do what, what we've done defensively so far. You know, I've heard people say that our defense isn't good and um, I don't know. I just I just hope you take into consideration everything Matt said with maybe a couple things that I said. But um, I think that moves on well, Matt. If, if you'll indulge me, um, you have already all indulged me. I, I went on for a bit of a rant in the first segment about whether Sporting Kansas City was telling in that have we fixed the problem, right? Are, has our attack – is it going to survive a bunker encounter? Um, opponent in the future without Klaus, with the Joachini, Indy Vasilev tweak, um, maybe even um, some of the things you mentioned in there, having Jabulo Blom back. Is that enough of a change that all of these things combined has kind of fixed all the problems? I want to hear, I didn't give you a chance to talk earlier, Matt, but I'm really curious what your thoughts are on, on all those things. If you remember a week or so ago, it might have been a week on the show, we talked about the the athletic UK article and tweet that referenced, how do you beat a low block? And the answer is high individual skills. (laughs) You don't beat a low block by creating more crosses. You don't beat a low block by, uh, trying to, to beat a, a low line, right? You don't create runs like that. You don't leverage a team based passing skill to beat a low block. It teams have tried. It might be, uh, you might get lucky, but overall, that's not a strategy. Strategy, as best you can describe a strategy, is you really high-skilled players and you let them beat individual spaces. And so Sporting Kansas City didn't have necessarily a low block the entire game. But early on, when we're talking about the first 10 or 15 minutes, because that's the piece of the Sporting Kansas City game that I think is the most telling, Um Bradley Carnell likes to say that when the team, when a team scores a first goal, things change just by design, by nature. Mm-hmm. Teams do different things. Minnesota, when they scored the first goal against us, they they dropped everybody back. Like they just parked the bus with their low block. With Sporting Kansas City, early on, 
they were still more or less willing to let us dictate the flow of play. But when they dropped back into their mid block, we were able to leverage those two. And, and I, I really call into, into focus those two plays. The first was started by Tim Parker because this was the one that led to the PK that was the first goal where Parker dispossessed the player in the middle of the field. He had a, he had a fantastic tackle. They got the ball free to Indy Vasilev, and there was space in the midfield because this is where that high-level individual skill presents itself. It's in the midfield when you're having guys like Indiana Vasilev find Edu Leuven, finding Joachini with a back heel to Vasilev who takes the ball in the box. Like, those are quick ball movements that are made by very skilled players. Mm-hmm. And when you can do that, you're getting the ball in tight spaces and you're working players deeper and deeper or, or further up and further up as as you can move the ball. So it's it's not like we were immediately sending the ball from Parker to Joachini. That ball worked a few different pieces before it got up. It was a it was a quick progression, but you need those high level of skilled players like yeah. Aluva and Vasilev and Joachini. When they're working together in in and being able to have success in what they do best, because Joachini's shown um, to be very adept at back heels, let's just say that in so far this season. But the other one was Jabulu Blom. Jabulu Blom that insane tackle in midfield that I think Stu called it, uh, their fans said it was a, should have been an orange card. Mm-hmm. Well, when Blome dispossessed his sporting in the middle of the field, Jared Stroud took the ball and Jared Stroud found Indy Vasilev in stride. And Vasilev again was that one individual high level player who was able to take the ball across the box himself and curl the ball in with his left foot underneath McIntosh to his left side. So he caught McIntosh off, uh, off balance and he got the ball underneath them. But that level of play by Indy Vasilev, it's it's the reason why I don't just say Vasilev's presence at the number 10 is the game changer. Is the the and I had it's not it's that's not even why just Vasilev being there, why I push Carnell on is Vasilev your answer to Klaus. It's everything that Vasilev facilitates. He's a workhorse. He he's not just a workhorse with the ball like Leuven can track back from box to box. But he moves so many different ways around and inside the box. He goes from the right to the left. He goes from back to front. He, he, he just covers player going underneath of him like he did with Ostrak later in the game. The versatility that he offers and his ability to make runs is what makes him so dangerous. That's the individual high-level skill player that can beat a low block. Yeah, I agree with you. And um, if you mix that with some things like Bradley Carnell's management strategy, and he said it himself, so this isn't like I'm not downing anything. In fact, I, I really appreciate it. I love it. Um, we saw Indy Vasilev uh, start play the ten in the la- in the game before, right? And so that was his first time kind of playing that in MLS play, at least. And um, it, we saw the heat maps. And we saw that Joe Akini was still kind of all over the place. And I think what Carnell said a long time ago was he doesn't he doesn't get too involved in the attack. He doesn't like force anybody to do certain things. And I think he naturally does that. And so I think he thought we all agreed that Leuven's a little better further back. I think we all agree that at this point. And so yep. he tried Indy Vasilev is the next like thought, right? Natural thought. So he naturally plays higher and he naturally as an attacker is willing to run in behind. So that's a good combination with Joe Akini if you're telling Joe Akini to be the natural nine. And so I think he tried that without trying to fiddle with it too much. Well, it didn't work perfectly, right? Then I think he says, okay, I got to get involved in this. And he tells Joe Akini, hey, you got to be that nine. 
you got to run in behind. You got to yep. play more centrally. You can't float around so much. And I don't know if that's what happened, but it's a logical progression of let's put everyone in their best places and see what happens. Okay, that didn't work. Now I got to get involved. I got to get my hands dirty. I got to tell someone. I got to limit Joe Acchini. I got to tell him he has to do certain things, you know, and it worked. And I, who knows if that happened, but, you know, I love that thought process and I love that just Indiana Vasilev putting him naturally in the 10 position and by telling Joe Keeney to do a certain amount of things, I think just naturally Indy works there with Joe Keeney having a few changes and tweaks. And, and I think it's going to work continually going forward. Um, but I'm curious to see how it plays out, of course. Oh, yeah. And, and let's not overlook the other changes that were made in addition to putting Indy there. Agreed, because yeah. like you like like you said, the quotes about Nico Giochini from himself and from Bradley Carnell that alluded to, here's what we need you to do now. Like you need to trust some of your other players to play underneath of you. We need you to be that high player who's drawing defenders, who's who's holding up the lines, and space will be created for you underneath. So you can still be a creator because some of these numbers that you look to about key passes and ability to abilities to create like Nico Joachini is top of our team in key passes. It's Edu Leuven, mm. it's Nico Joachini, Jared Stroud, and Indy Vasilev. The only four players in double digits for key passes on our team. Hmm. Nico Joachini is as much of a creator as we've come to think of Jacques Klaus, where where we know Klaus is dangerous with the ball at his feet, uh, both going for goal and when he's able to look back at other players doing making runs. Nico Joachini can and does do that exact same thing. But he needs to he needs to and did in, in Sporting Kansas City change his positioning on the field and and his the way that he's creating space. So allowing a guy like Indiana Vasilev to come in underneath, um, allowing himself to make those runs alongside a Jared Stroud who's winning one of those 50-50 balls. There's a lot of things that he I think had been doing right in his mind for what he thought he needed to do, but it's the players around him that you put in different positions, like you said, where Yes, it's it's almost a game of like you're just it's puzzle pieces and you're figuring out what's working because Edu Leuven's great no matter where you put him. He he is a great number ten. He can be, but when you have his number ten with what Joachini had been doing yeah. as a number nine, wasn't working. When you make Joachini have adjustments to what he's doing at your number nine, and you put Vasilev up the ten, and you have a guy like Jared Stroud out left, and you have Celio Pompeo out right, giving Leuven the freedom to go box to box. That seemed to click, yeah. click, and it clicked unlike anything we have seen before, where you had combinations of Ostrak, where you had combinations of Leuven, even Miguel Perez running running up there, also going to Jabulu Blom's safety net at the number six, right? His ability to be the cleaner right in front of the back line, so you can give some more freedom to Edu Leuven and to Indiana Vasilev to move up, knowing that Blom can cover all that ground behind you. Yeah, it's almost an example of if you're good at something, you're punished by having to do that thing over and over. And I think, <laughs> you know, Neo, I think Nico really likes to create. I love that key passes yeah. thing. It was really good, Matt. Um, I think he loves to create, but I think he's also our best finisher. And, you know, we've talked about in the past, like we need that guy in the 18 occupying space, just like Klaus did. It worked with Klaus and it can work with Nico. And I think this last week is the first time we kind of, uh, put him in a cage in a way the 18 box kind of became his cage to some degree and you know all the other things you mentioned of course play into that too but um, you know it, it worked and I, I really hope it, it keeps working yeah there's one other stat that I didn't get to earlier that I really like and it's called shot creating actions 
And it's about the two offensive actions that directly lead to a shot. And it could be an individual creating a chance for themselves and they could be awarded a shot creating action. It could be a player uh, making a pass, drawing a foul, uh, taking on another player, anything that leads to a shot creating action. So Indiana Vasilev's play, uh, Nico Jokini and Indiana Vasilev would have gotten a shot creating action for drawing that foul that led to the Leuven PK, right? Mm-hmm. So with that frame, Edu Leuven has 51 shot creating actions this year. Nico Joachini is second on our team with 33. Again, top of the team in these shot creating actions where he's putting himself in position to facilitate for others, whether it's, and even individually at times, because the the play that he made um, with his goal against Sporting Kansas City, that that garnered a shot creating yeah. action where he made that run avoiding players after, and he had a, he had a carry with the ball after receiving the pass from Jared Stroud. So all of these, so you're seeing Edward Leuven, Nico Giochini, Indiana Vasilev, Jared Stroud. The same four players with that lead our team in key passes also lead our team in shot-creating actions. Hmm. So not just the single pass before the shot, but the multiple actions that lead into it. These are, these are probably the four players that have consistently throughout the season, injuries aside, been our biggest chance creators like that's how i that's how i read those two stats key passes and shot creating actions and leuven jokini vasilev and stroud those are the players who've led the charge for city when those players are in form i think that's when our offense is at its deadliest i agree um i've been pretty selfish tonight about what messages i wanted to make sure were said tonight um we're a little over matt but if you want to kind of close us off with uh, one more thing that you'd like to talk about please do uh, I don't want to close with this, but I do want to mention uh, Caden Glover. So we heard, mm-hmm. so we know that Caden Glover was called into the U16s for, uh, I think it was the International Dream Cup. It's probably not the name of it, but it's over in Japan in Fukushima. And we heard from Bradley Carnell today after seeing Caden Glover on a bike that Caden was meant to travel with his national team, but he took a knock on his rib, and he's considered day to day. It's unknown if he's going to travel, but it doesn't seem like he's going to make the trip. To Japan, and instead he should be back up to speed sometime next week. But it's one of those wait and see moments. Man. So I wanted to make sure we get that update, which is just a massive bummer for Caden. Yeah, he'll get chances for sure. And um, then go ahead. Yeah. I'll I'll end with a much uh, more lighthearted, better note on our other homegrown signing. Big congratulations go out to Miguel Perez, <laughs> who is graduating high school this week. <laughs> Wild. Wild. He he has his high school graduation Thursday night, and Bradley Carnell uh, said that the team talked about it, and they did have interest from the team in going to his high school graduation. Nico Joachini particularly <laughs> mentioned that he wanted to wear a tuxedo. So the way that these guys are rallying around the the homegrowns and Miggy Perez, it's fantastic to see. That's the kind of story that really drives home this. The team, the players, the coaches, staff are a family, and you love to see that as a fan. Imagine, um, imagine going to Pattonville High School and having multiple St. Louis City players coming to the graduation. A bit surreal, huh? I went. I have to tell this story. I went to um, a sushi restaurant with my son. Actually, he wanted sushi one night, and uh, we went. And our waiter. We were both wearing jerseys. It was before a game. I took him to, and uh, he was like, "You guys like St. Louis City?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah, we love it. We're, we're obsessed." Uh, he said, "You guys know Miguel Perez?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "He goes to my school." 
Nice. And he was so he was like, and I want to add this too because props to Miguel for being this way. Not every youth soccer player who's really talented is this way. He's like, he's just. I'm like, what's he like? He's like, he's just a normal guy. He doesn't act like anything special. He just does his thing and leaves for soccer and comes back and does his thing again. Pretty awesome. Good dude. Uh, good head on his shoulders there. Yeah, the quote that Bradley Carnell had was, uh, I think it was Daniel Steves from Fox 2 had asked uh, if anything's going to change. He, he had asked Miguel if anything was going to change after he graduates. <laughs> and he's like, well, I should be able to sleep in a little bit because he's not going to school and then going to training. And he, he told that to Carnell and Bradley's like, Oh, well, we're just going to have to bring him in earlier to watch film. We can't, <laughs> let him get, can't let him get complacent. If you've talked to Miguel, like he's and he's exactly what he looks like on the broadcast. You know, like he's just so even keeled. Nothing really gets him too high or too low, which is awesome for a soccer player. Remember when he scored that goal, that header? I think he made a facial expression like it was awesome, but that he was in a massive celebration. He just jogged back to his spot. It's hilarious. Because he, he, it was the it was the awareness because he scored, but we were still down. Yeah. So he, he understood even at that point, like what's appropriate to do when, when you score and what, what kind of celebration to have it, That's impressive. Yeah. Self-control as a teenager is not an easy thing. <laughs> yeah, wow. Way better than me. I can say yeah. that right now. Uh, well, that's a much better note to end on. So thank you, Matt. Um, thank you everybody. If you've made it this far, this flyover footy, thanks for joining us as always. We'll have flyover fallout on Monday. So check. We that will. Out. Yeah. Santi and I will be back on Monday. We'll, we'll be right after the game against Vancouver. And you know, if you, if you like listening to us, please leave us a review, rate us, subscribe on iTunes or now it's Apple podcast, shoot, uh, Spotify, YouTube, you know, I'll, I'll be bringing some more clips, I think, of this. So be looking on our socials for some quick hits yeah. to get you wet, ready for the Vancouver game. Matt figured out how to post clips, and I've been really enjoying it. It's been it's cool. It's fun. It it, I fun. like it. I like it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Take it easy. We'll see you next time.